The title of this sermon is Paul's New Perspective. Last week, you probably remembered that I used the Sopranos for my sermon illustration. But this week, I have something a bit more poetic and high-minded than a mob boss in New Jersey to illustrate my sermon. Have you ever seen one of these? Does anybody know what this is? It's a rain stick. It's a rain stick. All right. Someone knew. It doesn't look like much, does it? It's kind of ugly. <laughs> in one way. It's, um, it's a musical instrument, if you don't know, uh, invented by the Aborigine people in Australia. And all it is is a dried-up hollow cactus stalk with some seeds inside. But when you turn it upside down, it sounds a lot like a rain shower falling onto dry ground. There's a poem by Shanus Haney called The Rain Stick, and I want to begin today with a little show and tell. The poem goes like this. Upend the rain stick. And what happens next is a music you would have never known to listen for. In a cactus stock downpour, sluice rush, spillage, and backwash come flowing through. You stand there like a pipe being played by water. You shake it again lightly. And diminuendo runs through all its scales like a gutter stopping trickling. And now here comes a sprinkle of drops out of the freshened leaves. Then subtle little wets off grass and daisies. Then glitter drizzle, almost breaths of air. Upend the stick again. What happens next is undiminished for having happened before. For happening, having happened once, twice, ten, a thousand times before. Who cares if the music that transpires is the fall of grit or dry seeds through a cactus? You are like a rich man entering heaven through the ear of a raindrop. Listen now again. so poetic, did you? <laughs> a wise preacher, why did I do that? A wise preacher once told me that the main challenge about preaching is that you can't tell people something they don't know because they don't know it. Because that's not part of our experience or vocabulary. You can really only lead people to suspect that there's something more out there than they already know. Jesus tried to do this by way of telling parables, strange little stories like the one we just heard in the gospel today that get inside our heads and challenge us to see everything with new eyes. Poetry, I think, if done well, can do this too. The Apostle Paul this morning in his letter to the church in Corinth is trying to tell us something, show us something that by definition is impossible for us to see with our own eyes in our own experience. He's not just telling us to see something from a different light 
from a different point of view to put yourself in someone else's shoes. That would be easy enough. With effort, it's hard, but it can be done. No. Paul is telling us that we are to regard no one from a human point of view. From a human point of view. Let alone trying to just see things from the perspective of someone else, to walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Paul is saying that our problem is the human point of view. All of us. The perspective of human beings living in the world. That's what's all wrong, he says. You see, there has now become a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, all things have become new. Everything old. It's through. It's done. It's irrelevant. It's yesterday's news. Everything, and he means everything, has become new. So can you see it, Paul asks. What words can we use to begin to imagine? Upend the rain stick, the poem says. And what happens next is a music you would never have known to listen for. The sound of water from parched, dry ground comes from a little dried-up husk of a cactus in the middle of a desert somewhere in Australia. If you'd never seen one of those before, you never would have guessed the sound that it made. But there it was. You turn this dry, withered-up old creature upside down, and it's like a spring of living water wells up from somewhere deep down inside. And unexpectedly, the desert is all of a sudden alive with a sprinkle of drops out of the freshened leaves. Glitter drizzle, almost breaths of air. New creation, Paul says. From death to life, all things made new, welling up to new life precisely out of the least promising, arid, driest, desert imaginable. You can see by now, I think, that I'm not just talking about cactuses and rain sticks. Do you remember that gospel story? Not the one from today, but the other one, where Jesus goes to the well and meets a Samaritan woman. Give me a drink, he asks her. And you can just imagine this woman giving him this incredulous look. Kind of like, Look now, Jesus. First off, I'm a woman, and you're a great rabbi. That doesn't, this doesn't happen. Second, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. We don't interact. And look, really, Jesus, you don't even have the right kind of bucket. The water tastes a little funny today, and it's so far down to drag all the way up here. All the reasons why, from a human point of view, she is not worthy even to talk to this man. And Jesus just looks at her and says to him, and says to her, Woman, if you knew who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Living water, she says from her human point of view. Well, that sounds nice. 
But you don't have a bucket with you, Jesus. And this well is deep. Don't forget that. Where are you going to get this living water? And Jesus answers, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You and I, I think, spend so much time trying to justify our lives from a human point of view, to make sense of ourselves. We ask ourselves things like, have I made something of myself? Do I amount to anything? Am I a good person? And we try to answer those questions in ways that justify ourselves. We say things like, well, I have a good, respectable job and a big paycheck. I have made something of myself. I'm justified. Or, well, maybe I don't have the most prestigious job, but I do something that matters. I provide for my family. That's who I am. I'm justified. Or we say, well, maybe I did get a little too angry at my spouse yesterday. She didn't deserve that, but... You know, I'm under a lot of pressure here. I'm juggling a lot of balls. And I'm doing it for my family. So really, I deserve some credit. I'm doing the best I can. I'm justified. The trouble with all of our attempts at self-justification is that sooner or later, they run out. They dry up. They ring hollow. The father of a friend of mine recently had to step down from an important job as CEO of a hospital system, and it's just about done him in. He's gotten to where he's arguing with his wife so much that she left the house. He's living now in a cabin out in the woods somewhere, and he doesn't know what to do with himself anymore. He'd been living all his life to become someone important, someone successful, to justify himself. And now that he isn't that person anymore, he doesn't know who he is. What now? How do I justify myself now? Another man I know from farm country in North Dakota where I'm from has had to sell most of his land and equipment in the current farm crisis. He was never anyone big and important in the world, but farmer is who he is. It's how he knew he was doing something that mattered. It helped him to justify his life. Now that it's mostly gone, he feels like a gardener without a garden or a painter without a paintbrush. And he doesn't know who he is anymore. What now? How do I justify myself? Even if you and I don't find ourselves in their shoes today, the experience of judgment, moral judgment, is one that we all likely struggle with from time to time. I mean by that the need to prove to everyone else and to ourselves that we're good people, especially in the face of accusing fingers that try to tell us otherwise. An insightful therapist wrote this, Anguish in human relationship, she says, often has hidden at its core a kernel 
of ineluctable suspicion of one's being worthy of judgment. There's a self-doubt accompanying whatever goodness we believe about ourselves. And an anger, if not a fury, is felt toward anyone that confirms our self-doubt. If you put any one of us close to another person for a sustained period of time, that person will eventually be the unwitting agent of our self-doubt, and consequently the target of our anger. Herein lies one of the sources of fire that burns down families. Do you know that dynamic? I do. It's not when someone accuses us of something unfair that we get the most angry. That's easy to dismiss. It's instead when someone accuses us of something that's more or less true that we get the most defensive and upset. It's the people who are closest to us that happen to know what those are. You and I try one way or another way to justify ourselves. From a human point of view, that is all that we know how to do. I need to amount to something. I need to do something that matters. I need to show everyone that I'm a good guy. But in our desperate attempts to justify ourselves, we wind up doing even more damage than we already have. Finally, our excuses run dry. Our bag of tricks or our money or our relationships run out. Everything in our lives withers away and dries up like a dried up cactus stalk in the middle of the desert alone. We come to the end of ourselves. Hard, brittle, bone dry creatures, hollowed up, used out. What now? Upend the rain stick. Paul saw the whole world new. Fall down. Paul saw the whole world new, upside down, inside out, no longer from a human point of view. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. However we're doing it, we need to stop trying to justify ourselves from a human point of view. We need to give it up. Somewhere deep down we know that we're exhausted already and that if we keep on going, we'll wind up squeezing out every last drop of life and joy that we have. Instead, instead we need to let God justify our lives. We need to let him give us a place and a name and a mission that matters. 
We need to let him pardon and deliver us from all our sins, confirm and strengthen us in all goodness, and bring us to everlasting life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Stop justifying yourself. Say out loud to your maker and redeemer, Okay, Lord, I know that I'm not worthy to gather up the crumbs from under your table, but thou art the same Lord who will always have mercy. Let your heavenly Father throw his arms around you and kiss you and kill the fatted calf for you and clothe you with the finest robe in the house. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Come inside. Take your place at the table like the Father's beloved and only Son like a child at home. No matter how poor and prodigal you may be, you are like a rich man entering heaven. Eat the bread and drink the cup poured out for you, filled with living water, welling up to eternal life. Amen.